this. You know what? And in the ring with Dan and Benny, hey, Brother Man, he's about the most cat. I just love him to death. I love you. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're the best. I'm telling you, brother, in the ring with Dan and Benny. Yeah. We love you. Thank Woo. you so much, Dan. Oh, yeah. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spashano, joined, as always, by the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy? Dan, I'm back in sunny Florida. I, I spent this past Sunday at uh, our sponsor, Boogie's Wrestling Camp, at their uh, second taping of Quest for Fire. And uh, Shawsville, at Shaw's was cold, but the action inside was hot and heavy. And uh, if everybody, if they have a spare moment, go to uh, wrestling with three exclamation points live from B- BWC and hit the subscribe button. Some really, really good action. We would thank you, and I know that Boogie Woogie Man would thank you as well. Absolutely. And there, fire is a good word because I was watching that, and they've got some some great action. And you see what we talk about. You know, our, our descriptions don't do it justice when you look at the background and you see the, the living museum that the BWC is. Yes, sir. You know, it's funny, Benny. We For our first show of the new year – we had uh, we had kind of a roundtable discussion and we talked about uh, the big news stories from last year. And one of the things we, we touched on, obviously, was the the downfall of Vince McMahon. And uh, we mentioned, well, there's there's stories of him wanting to come back. And just in the last two weeks, huge, you know, breaking news changes there with the WWE and with Vince McMahon. And we wanted to go a little different today. Usually we have uh, kind of these 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 mindsets for, for who we're going to bring. So we wanted to bring somebody on uh, who's not used to talking bad about WWE or Vince McMahon, somebody who has, has vehemently defended Vince on many occasions. We know he's a huge McMahon fan. He's a, he's a filmmaker. He's a director. He's a friend of the show. We have Mikey Messier. Mikey, you going to be all right talking bad about Vince McMahon today? I think I can handle that. You know, it's it's very interesting. Um, it, it always seems come it always seems to come back to Junior whenever you're talking about the WWE, and maybe that's the way it should be. I mean, to give him credit, he is the guy that kind of expanded his own company at the expense of other companies, uh, which always angers me and and other longtime wrestling fans. But uh, it'll be an interesting talk tonight, I'm sure. Oh yeah, to uh get to what we were talking about obviously the news stories uh in the last two weeks several things have changed uh vince mcmahon returned to the wwe officially uh pushed out several board members brought his own crew back in he was elected chairman of the board uh, executive chairman executive yeah yeah executive chairman uh and several stories uh leading that the reason he pushed so hard to come back is because he wants to be the the in charge and have the final say in selling what what is going to be selling the WWE uh, and negotiating future television rights, perhaps with new owners. Uh, huge, huge news there, because you're you're talking about uh, the, for the first time ever, the, the WWE, WWF going back to Vince Sr. not being owned by McMahon. Um, and then, of course, the stories that have come out since of his uh, you know, kind of bullying, for lack of a better term, holding the company hostage, uh, the questions of, of his power. And um, mm-hmm. Benny, I'm going to start with your thoughts here because Vince was able to come back because of his ownership of he, – he maintained ownership as far as stocks go. Uh, he owned enough stock, the, the Class B as it's called, which is the family shares, him, Linda, Steph uh, – they they own he owned enough to have 80 percent voting power. And he told the company, you're not selling. You're not negotiating a right. I'm not signing off on any future deals unless I'm in charge. So what do you think about him pretty much strong arming, bullying, holding the company hostage to get back into power? Uh, I mean, I can't say I'm surprised. This is Vince McMahon we're talking about. I mean. And I, I wanted to go back real quick to what you know, something Mike said about the, the you know, ruining the territories. And I, I read something online that says 
that said, we have Vince to thank for taking the matches out of high school gymnasiums and bringing the action to bigger and better arenas. Well, I mean, that that is so wrong because, number one, you know, Bruno San Martino sold that Madison Square Garden 187 times before Vince McMahon did anything in wrestling. And, you know, the other thing is, I don't know about you guys, but I attended several spot shows at high school gymnasiums. And what's wrong with that? I mean, I have great memories of those shows, and I, I bet many of our listeners, have, you know, also have the same memories. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, my theory is wrestling is meant to be small. It's you know small and intimate with the wrestlers and the crowd, and you know all he's done is all he's done is depersonalize it and, and, and to to you know enrich himself, and that's all he's really done. He hasn't made it better. He's made himself richer. That's true. You know, we we did a, a show last year and we talked about Bruno's record. And I mentioned at the time it's still current. He's he's touring now. But um, Billy Joel has a residency at Madison Square Garden and he's actually number two right now behind Bruno for sellouts in the garden. He is 73. If you do the math, Billy Joel will have to sell out every residency concert until he is 91 before he ties Bruno ties. And, and that's just, people don't realize just how many, when you talk almost 200 consecutive sellouts, just how many events that is, how many tickets. And then you, you look at the ratings and Mikey, you, last time you were on, you talked about ratings, uh, television ratings. They, each territory had its own popular channels at, at its peak. They estimate as many as 30 to 40 million people a week we're watching wrestling at some point, usually Saturday mornings or, or Monday night, or excuse me, uh, you know, some Monday, Tuesday nights, whenever their, their local show was on. And now we're talking, uh, raw, barely scraping 2 million and stories. Um, I was going to get your thoughts on this too. Um, you know, about where, like Benny said, where, where they're trying to paint the WWE as this great, look at, look at this wonderful, massive empire of wrestling, but every, objective metric shows that wrestling under Vince McMahon is the least popular it has ever been. Well, I mean, have you ever looked at those Memphis numbers, you know, uh, mid Southern wrestling or USWA, or, uh, I think they had a few different names for it, but basically the Jerry Lawler, Lance Russell, uh, you know, Fargo's fabulous ones, hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert. They had their 90 minute, I believe a 90 minute Saturday show, that were getting was getting huge shares and huge ratings, and they even Jerry Lawler in Memphis, I think as early as '85 or '86, had the Jerry Lawler show, like his kind of one man version of TNT or the Tonight Show type of thing. So, the the territory system um, was great. I mean, I think Jim Cornette says that 1983 was like the last great year for wrestling, with so many territories, the AWA, mm-hmm. Crockett world-class championship wrestlings uh, Bob Sweeten and Tully Blanchard and, and um, that Southwest promotion. I mean, Florida where I am and, and Benny is uh, they had such a strong Eddie Graham family. And unfortunately, whether it was Vince McMahon Jr. Um, being mm-hmm. greedy and, and, and taking over by force or whether it was those Promoters I just named not being able to take care of their own business or probably somewhere in between. The combination two of both, yeah. Yeah, you know, com- right, a combination of both. Um, things are just not the same. And uh, I can go back and remember the late 80s, Dan, when having cable TV, uh, I could watch WWF, Mid-Atlantic. Um, I could see world-class championship wrestling. I could see... Um, Continental Wrestling on FNN Score. I mean, it seemed like every cable company, cable channel, I should say, was pulling out some type of wrestling. And even women's wrestling from Japan, I could see, I think, on the Chicago or New York channel at like midnight on Saturday. So I would stop watching Saturday Night Live at midnight to watch Japanese women's wrestling in in, 87 or 88. So we have seen days gone by where the territories were strong but here's the upside the positive side these days with streaming and with once again so many cable networks if you want 
you could watch wrestling every day of the week. You can watch National Wrestling Alliance. You can order uh, Wrestle Kingdom from New Japan in the comfort of your own home here in the United States. Uh, you could watch um, Impact Wrestling, although I choose not to, but you could. Uh, you could watch a lot of things on the Fight app. So just just so it's not all Vince McMahon doom and gloom here, there are still plenty of options for pro wrestling fans. And even good old-fashioned YouTube, you can find some great stuff from the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. Uh, the bootleggers, mm -hmm. you know, have come to YouTube, and you can see all that good wrestling right there on YouTube for free. So that's that's encouraging. You know, it's it's funny because I, I lived at the, you know, we uh, growing up, uh, traveling a lot with with work and all. I lived in Maryland at the time and uh, right outside of Annapolis. And we had Channel 10 was Baltimore and Channel 13 was D.C. And those were different territories, for lack of a better term. So we had NWA on one channel and WWF on the other. And then uh, you talked about getting cable. I remember getting cable when what what would become ESPN, the sports channel, aired the AWA, which, you know, on the East Coast. So, I mean, I had a NWA, AWA, WWF growing up. And that was even even then that seemed like too much. And now and we talked about it uh, recently with, you know, there being 10 hours of just mainstream programming a week. You know, yeah, there's a so so let me ask you then, Mikey, your thoughts on that. This is the easiest time in history to consume entertainment, streaming, YouTube, uh, digital recording. People can you can watch stuff on your phone. You can have it on in the background while you're doing whatever you want. I mean, you, you know, you can flip up, put your phone up while you're stuck in traffic, whatever. You can watch it wherever you want. Yet the least number of people are watching wrestling in in ever pretty much what do you suppose that is other than maybe the quality of the product well i'll, I'll let me kind of quantify the answer a little bit and uh I'm, i will get to a straight answer but first let me say there probably are a lot of people like myself that watch things on youtube i'm currently watching uswa you know the jerry lawler stuff from 1990 so i mean i'm kind of on a, on a thread of thought with that and this stuff I never really watched before to this extent. So for me, it's new to me. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't know, Dan, if people aren't watching as much wrestling. I think maybe it's a deal where people are watching wrestling in different ways, whether it's on YouTube, they're watching old stuff that they watched before. Maybe they're on Peacock and watching, they pick and choose, like if they like the uh, Attitude Era or the NWO Era. They're watching that stuff. But if you're asking me, what about the current, like, Friday Night SmackDown, Monday Night Raw, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage on Friday nights, we see those ratings have gone down pretty much for the last few years. Maybe SmackDown today. But I guess I would just say I do I – I see both factors. The product has gotten a bit stale. Uh, especially WWE. I think AEW, as much as of an AEW fan I am, I can admit that it's kind of preaching to the choir. AEW doesn't do the very best job of reaching out to get new fans. They play to that Ring of Honor crowd, the old TNA Impact Wrestling crowd. They play to the people that are reading Dave Meltzer and so forth. Um, WWE, on the other hand, books people like Bad Bunny to come in and look great, but at the same time, make their regular wrestlers look like chumps, in my opinion. So uh, when, you know, what's the guy's name? Uh, Paul, Logan Paul. Logan comes Paul, in, yep. Yeah, he, his third match, I will give him credit. He had a great match with Roman Reigns in, in Saudi Arabia. But how much rehearsal do you think Roman and Logan Paul did for that match? They probably worked together in the gym for a month to come up with that match. And now it showed, the work showed, but if you hotshot a, a celebrity and make him look that good against your dominant world champion, doesn't that make the Kevin Owens of the world look a little bit weaker? That's just my opinion as a hardcore wrestling fan, and I know not everybody in the world is a hardcore wrestling fan. Uh, sometimes I wonder about that, guys. Like, 
people online always seem to be concerned about the whims of the casual wrestling fan audience. Well, my opinion is, who cares what the casual wrestling fan audience thinks or, or wants? I mean, to me, that's like saying Major League Baseball should go out and try to promote to the casual baseball fan. To me, you, you go out and you try to make your hardcore fan base happy with a great product, and then others come into it based on that excitement, not trying to reach out to this supposed casual fan market. I don't know if I told you how to make a watch when you just want to know what time it is, Dan, but that's my answer for you. You know, I want to add a little bit to that, too. And again, I think it goes back to my theory that wrestling was meant to be local and regional because, you know, again, if you're a, a Memphis hardcore wrestling fan or even a casual wrestling fan on Saturday morning, you're not missing that show. All right. And you take that multiplied by however many territories and you got Portland, you got Amarillo, you got Florida, Georgia, you know, AWA, you got fans all over the country glued to their TV sets. And in the aggregate, it was far more than who watched now. But I think, you know, I think because of the fact that it's been depersonalized, um, I, I think that that is a huge factor as far as why ratings are down. And I think I think another reason is that, you know, we thought it was real. It was real to us, and it's not really real to the hardcore fan anymore. You know, uh, the, 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 the discussion at the water cooler at work in Memphis on Tuesday morning, I'm sure was centered around Jerry Lawler and Boogie Woogie Man and Bill Dundee and what happened last night. And I'm sure they were breaking it down like it was real. And I don't think those conversations really happen anymore. No, you're you're right, Benny. And I think, too, uh, what you talked about, you hit it on the head with the regional stuff, because that's one of the big I don't want to say complaints, but that's one of the big uh, discussions that circulates around AEW with your your Orange Cassidy's and your Young Bucks and people like that who have their hardcore audience, your your four or five hundred thousand, you know, no matter what every week are going to watch them, but nobody is going to flip the channels and see an orange Cassidy match and think, Oh, I remember, you know, watching wrestling when I was a kid, let me check this out. He's not going to expand outside your core audience. But if you target your, your core, they're the ones that are buying tickets every week, buying your merchandise, subscribing to your services. You know, you get more money out of a dedicated core audience than you do like, like Mikey was saying, out of a much larger casual fan base. And and that's that's kind of the side effect of what you were talking about with the regions. I mean, you, you bring up Memphis all the time. Same the Memphis Coliseum, same venue, borderline same roster every week for months, years in a row. Sell out, sell out, sell out. They didn't they they didn't care. Hey, we, we need to get people from Kentucky watching. We need to, to you know, where's the Virginia crowd tuning in to watch Memphis wrestling? We've got our core audience. We're making a lot of money. We're good. You know, it it, it worked because it stuck to the to what to the region that that, you know, that, that was their fans. Yeah, but and there's go ahead, Mikey. There's such um loaded rosters on both. AEW and WWE, when I say bloated, it's the amount of wrestlers, not not picking on any particular wrestler or wrestlers, but both of those two major companies here in the States have got a lot of wrestlers, and that's when fans get upset that their particular favorite wrestler hasn't been on TV for a while, or they're not getting a push, or they're not getting... Uh, respected or they're losing a bunch of matches or they're on dark in, instead of dynamite or whatever. Um, it's, it's symptomatic of just having too many people on the roster. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I mean, I remember, and, and you guys probably do as well, going to a, you know, a major wrestling show, WWF or NWA in my case. And if you had 26 wrestlers on the show, that was more than enough between singles matches, tag teams, maybe a six man tag in there. You could have a 26-person show, and that would pretty much be the majority of the roster altogether, and you could be highly entertained by that. You didn't need to have excessive of 80 or 100 wrestlers under right. contract. You, you know, it, it's funny because that's one of the 
I don't want to say complaints, but one of the things that that a lot of modern fans don't seem to understand is they look at the cards back then and, you know, Flair Steamboat, uh, you know, someone like a Ronnie Garvin or a Dusty Rhodes. uh, You go to Florida and you see, you know, Kevin Sullivan. You might have, you know, Lawler Dundee. You might have the same match at every show for months. I mean, you, you look at some of these guys, you know, Lawler and Dundee or, uh, you know, like I said, in Flair, Steamboat, some of these, some of these matches, they've wrestled each other hundreds and hundreds of times because if the match is, is good, the fans don't care if they've seen it, you know, because it, it tell it, it's that, that narrative, that story, um, it, the smaller wrestlers, I think it's, uh, it's interesting. And Benny, I don't know if you if you remember a couple months back uh, to give a shout kind of a half shout out to another show. Uh, Jim Cornette did a segment on his podcast where they broke down AEW's roster and he and he, he kind of decided like if he was starting a territory, what 30 guys he would go with or, or 25, whatever the number was. And when they went through the AEW page, there was one hundred and eight male Ross male names on their roster page. And it's like, how do you know you have even with dark and elevation, you're talking what, two, three, four, six hours a week, including YouTube and your and your specialty shows. You, you you can't feature your entire roster every week. You've got some people who may go a month without being on television. Yeah. And again, with the territories, there were so many places for somebody to land that, you, you know, if you're not getting a push in Mid-South. Well, then you go to Portland, or you go to Amarillo, or you go to Florida. I mean, here it's like there's so much talent concentrated on one roster because of the fact that there there aren't that many landing places. And right. That's gonna, and that's gonna, you know, it, it's gonna hurt the guy who's number 108, who could have been a, you know, back in the territory days, could have been a star in Memphis or Portland. Yeah, and, and you're not gonna get that that peak golden era the the rise of the wwf when he went and he got piper from portland and he got you know the talent from florida and any junkyard dog and he brought in all these basically he got the major stars of every territory on one roster and your your lower card i mean you, i hate I, i'm not criticizing them at all but when you have somebody like a like a paul roma or a coco beware or even uh even like a Rick Martel. I mean, these are these are pure talents that were champions and mainstays elsewhere. And your roster is so loaded. They're your they're your your lower mid card at this point. You know, your curtain jerkers and your enhancement talent. It's crazy. But um, kind of focusing back, Mikey, I want to get your thoughts. You know, we, we look at at the landscape we've talked so far about the landscape of wrestling but the 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 story was vince came back and he is leading the charge to sell the company now various stories have come out and right now the the names most associated are nbc fox uh disney and 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 then of course the story uh, that came out shortly, what about a week or two ago, uh, linking a potential sale to Saudi Arabia and the Saudi Sports Authority. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on, it, in a perfect world, let's say, who who is the best choice to own the WWE? Who owns HBO? Who's the parent company of home box office? Does anybody know? Uh, Warner Brothers. Okay, so I guess I would go with Warner Brothers, and the reason why I, I mention HBO is because, at least with HBO, they have a history of edgy entertainment, and I'm talking about The Sopranos and The Wire and uh, Six Feet Under and Oz, you know, which was my personal favorite, the prison drama. Mm-hmm. So my point is, one thing I didn't like about Peacock, which is NBC's, you know, streaming service, when they start, when they took over the WWE library, they edited out the Roddy Piper Bad News Brown match at WrestleMania six, where Piper, in a, you know, his thought was, I'm proving it doesn't matter if you're black or white, so I'm going to paint myself half black. Well, the effect wasn't that great, uh, you know, Piper, people kind of make fun of it. The WWE, by the way, actually commissioned an action figure based on that appearance, uh, you know, maybe 
eight, eight or nine years ago. But when Peacock comes along and they take over the streaming rights for WWE's backlog of material, they took that match out of WrestleMania uh, six. The if you watch WrestleMania six on Peacock, you will not see Roddy Piper dressed in half black makeup. You'll not see his entire match against Bad News Brown. It's gone. It's erased from the record. Well, some might some might agree with that. They say, well, it was a mistake for Piper to do that. It's offensive, and we shouldn't be able to see it. To me, I see it this way. That match took place. That action figure 20 or 30 years later was created. That match is part of the show. Uh, if it's offensive enough to warrant a disclaimer or some type of statement before the, the, the broadcast begins on the streaming service, fine. But to take out that match is to rewrite history. And that's one thing with WWE I've had great issue with. You watch the 1992 Royal Rumble live on pay-per-view. When Hulk Hogan gets eliminated, the fans in New York cheered. And when Rick Ric Flair won the title in the 92 Rumble, the fans cheered. But if you watch WWF Superstars the next Saturday, uh, they, they screwed up the audio. They didn't screw up the audio. They purposely changed the audio to make it seem like the fans were booing when Hogan got eliminated and Flair won the title. I mean, they've even goes, gone so far as when Hulk Hogan beats the Iron Sheik for the WWF title in January of 1984, they've re-recorded over the audio of Hogan saying, I'm so happy to win the WWF title, brother, to make Hogan say, I'm so happy to win the WWE title, brother. So the WWE on its own and with Peacock has a history of manipulation, uh, disrespecting history, and I don't appreciate that. And I find that to be insulting to the audience, of which I'm one of. And so my point is, if the WWE were to sell to something like NBC or Disney, where they have maybe a more politically correct uh, nature, I would be afraid of what would happen to some of our favorite uh, wrestling stars of the past. What were they going to do with Kamala? What are they going to do with Saba Simba? Those might be offensive <laughs> characters. So are they going to take out every single Kamala versus the Undertaker at SummerSlam 92? Are they going to take Saba Simba off the record? Uh, are they going to take Papa Shango off the record? And that's just a few examples, but uh, maybe you get my point. No, no I, I understand. Benny, what do you think about uh the WWE selling to someone who would edit the archives. Well, I think there's a bottom line here. And uh, how does anybody outbid the Saudis? They, they have money to burn. They have a, a, a fund where they think I heard $620 billion in it. Yep. They overpay for anything they want. I mean, how, whatever anybody bids, they can easily double it. So what's, how do you stop them? You know, I think it's interesting, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. The story broke shortly after Vince McMahon came in. Uh, it was the same day that Stephanie McMahon announced her resignation from the board that there was a backroom deal to sell to the Saudis. And it was everywhere. And then it slowly kind of trickled out over the next couple of days that, oh, you know, it, it was it was more of just a discussion. There's nothing in place. What surprised me is I, I, the WWE didn't make any kind of formal statement with, within any quick time period saying, hey, that's not true. You know, th they could have come out the, the moment that story went viral and said, nope, absolute crap. We don't know what you're talking about. But they didn't. They, they sat on it and kind of let, you know, let the the press sort of eat itself in that, oh, wait a minute, this might not be true. You know, we'll see. And it almost seemed like they were kind of playing it safe. They, they didn't want to come flat out and say we're not selling to the Saudis and they didn't want to come out and say we're not selling to the Saudis yet. So they just kind of didn't say anything. Benny, what do you think? Uh, like I said, I, I think it's a done deal. That's my opinion. And I just don't know how whatever anybody bids, you know, the Saudis can say, well, I'll give you that and I'll throw another couple of billion dollars. You think Vince McMahon's going to turn that down? Um, what really I mean, this this has so many twists and turns to it. So many rabbit holes. 
I, what I don't get is, you know, Stephanie McMahon last year takes a leave, you know, and after the big Vince Bruhaha comes back a few weeks later, now she's resuming her lead. And oh, by the way, I'm, I'm resigning too. I, I don't get that part of it. The, now she was able to play that off because she had originally taken a leave of absence to be with her family and, right. and kids and all. And then right after she did that is when the McMahon story broke and he stepped away and then she came in co-CEO kind of right to ship. Well, now he's back. She doesn't need to be there anymore. I think the timing is unfortunate if, if it's if it's just a legitimate. Well, Vince is back. I don't need to do this job. You know, I can go back and be with my family versus him coming in and forcing her out because, you know, her and, and their con was, uh, you know, not. I mean, really, he remember when, when they first hired him, uh, Stephanie and, and Triple H, when, when they were all working together, the narrative was he was there to be the business mind behind selling the company. You know, um, so I don't know. We'll see. I think it's interesting. Um, Mikey, I want to get your thoughts on this one, too. The uh, Vince has I mentioned already he's got 80 percent voting power. Now, a story came out earlier that he's in the process of, of doing the paperwork, what not needed to uh, because he's executive chairman. Now, he doesn't need shareholder approval to do anything. And I'm curious if what your thoughts are that this is pretty much whatever McMahon wants happens. He gets the check. He gets the money. He signs the papers. If everyone else in the company and now we'll we'll get into there's some some pending lawsuits right now. We'll get into those in a minute. But whatever happens, it is 100 percent him. Do you think that that's in the best interest of anybody but Vince Jr. that he gets 100 percent say in, in where the company goes from here? I don't I, it's not in my best interest. It's not in most fans best interest, yeah. whether they want to admit it or not. It might be in Austin Theory's best interest. Um because that seems to be a talent that Vince legitimately uh, enjoys uh, more so than most fans. Um, but I think it's an interesting note that Stephanie McMahon, you know, a week and a half ago resigned for the second time. And then it was a day later, we started hearing those Saudi Arabian sale uh, rumors. Well, we know that the Saudi Arabians think of women as a second or third class citizen so would the Saudi Arabians be more likely to do a handshake deal or preliminary deal if the woman, female COO or CEO, co-CEO, Stephanie McMahon was not in a position of power? Um, Eric Bischoff on his podcast, uh, you know, shot that thought down. But I, I'll shoot that thought back up because I think it makes perfect sense. If Stephanie McMahon was to step down in power as a way to appease or lubricate a deal with the Saudi Arabian public interest fund, then I think that's quite likely to happen. One thing I'd say, guys, is that I think a lot of people are kind of thinking that there's some type of inner squabbling between Triple H and Stephanie McMahon against Stephanie's father, Vince. I don't think there is. I think they're all on the same page. I think as dysfunctional as that family is with Vince you know, openly cheating on his wife several times, all these NDAs for sexual, some type of sexual activity and on the company, uh, you know, Titan Tower and so forth. For all these things, these people tolerate each other, if nothing else, because of all the money they make together. So I don't really see it being where Stephanie is being pushed aside or whatever. I think if anything, this Nick Khan gentleman that we haven't mentioned before, he was kind of brought in as a guy to cut through any type of family business, so to speak, and make the best possible deal uh, for the WWE to sell. And uh, is it in anyone's best interest that Vince is back besides Vince? Probably not. I mean, and the, here's one last thing, guys. For years, I've been hearing that Vince McMahon Jr. has not been altogether there in the head. And I'm not trying to make fun of him. But it's just a natural aging process that sometimes people can have good days and bad days. And even when we've seen Vince on TV, he doesn't look the same, you know, and, and everybody gets older. It's going to happen to me. It's going to happen to all of us. So I wonder at some point in my mind, 
is Vince having like some type of mental <laughs> problem here? Like he can't he can't deal with the fact that the show has gone on without him. So he's pulled his trump card, decided he needs to come back. In his own mind, is he trying to just get the company back in his own hands and just keep it in his own hands until his dying day? I mean, that's a possibility. You know, that was one of my questions. Why why even sell it? I mean, he I, I thought the best deal ever was when George Steinbrenner uh, bought the Yankees in 1973 for $12 million bucks. But Vince, I think, paid his father a million dollars. I think it was four payments of $250,000. And the, the third, you know, the second, third and fourth payments were going to be paid out of profits that he generated. So he really, you know, he really bought the WWF or WWF for uh, a quarter of a million dollars. He, he bought the company with his day. He, he paid his father with his father's own money. To, it was to almost a hot company. dog and a handshake deal. I mean, and, <laughs> yeah. and supposedly Vince Sr., walked away with about $200,000 which that's a that's shameful. I think I think Vince senior was kind of on his dying days when that yeah. all happened. Mm-hmm. So I think I think Vince it was more or less a sale in name only. It was basically inheritance which is another McMyth. Let's call it a McMyth. That's a good term. That Vince <laughs> is his self-made like man. That. Basically he bought a, what I've heard is that the WWF or WWF was worth seven million, and Vince bought it for one million. And um, you know, it's basically an inheritance thing, much like Vince's buddy Donald Trump uh, got a million dollar loan from his father. It was a small loan, though, Mikey. Yeah. Right. Right. So I mean, this is the type of people we're dealing with. I think once again, guys, what it always comes back to for me is how much does the hardcore wrestling fan or casual wrestling fan want to emotionally invest in this company. And as you know, over the last five or six years, my interest in the health of WWE has gone down my own interest in how they do uh, to the point of cheering against them. And when something like AEW came along, I was all into that because at least there was a choice now, you know, so there you go. Well, let me I, I don't want to keep harping on the Saudi side of it, but it just seems like Benny said that really seems where it's going. Uh, Benny, I want to get your thoughts and then Mikey on this one. You, you mentioned, obviously, the Saudi Arabia has a very poor track record of civil rights towards women, but also their their treatment of L, the LGBT community uh, of non dominant religions and political dissidents. You have uh, when they do the the shows in Saudi Arabia, uh, the, the the Crown Jewel shows. There's members of the WWE roster that cannot physically travel because being in Saudi Arabia would be illegal. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on this this idea that there's a large chunk of the roster that would want to leave the company if their bosses suddenly became someone who views them as a person who should not be allowed to, for lack of a better term, have rights or in some cases even be alive. Yeah. And I, I also thought what, like what happens to all the historical content, you know, what, what happens to all the women's matches that, that are, you know, that are uh, either on, on WWE or any of the other territories, do they all go away? What, what, what do we see as far as, you know, the hardcore wrestling fan like me who, you know, lives for the, the mid South and the, the Memphis, do I still have my content if 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 they if they buy the company? That's what I'm really worried about. How how does it affect me? But yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be a number of wrestlers who leave. Uh, but then again, where do they really go to get a good paycheck? I mean, how, how much how many more wrestlers can can AEW take? And if you know if they take them, what are they going to do with them? And as far as the women go, yeah, I mean, I, I would think they pretty much don't have a future in WWE. Yeah, I can understand that. Mikey, um, to kind of expand there, you talk about the content. What about the idea that one of the caveats for selling the company is whoever buys it is simply taking over ownership, but Vince stays on as like a consultant or as somebody in that position? Because several of the groups that are attached to the stories of who could buy the company, they're not wrestling minds. 
and you could end up with what happened in some of the territories when somebody comes in with money but has no idea how to run a wrestling show. What do you think about that idea that somebody buys the company and then keeps Vince around anyway? Well, first off, they would call and see if Jim Hurd was available. Uh, you know, <laughs> you go back to Ted Turner, Ted Turner, 1988, buying WCW, uh, Jim Crockett Promotions, what was left of it. You know, as, as an interesting aside, maybe a parallel, I was a pretty young kid when I went to the 1988 Great American Bash pay-per-view in Baltimore, the Ric Flair, Lex Luger, Tower of Doom show. And in the audience, this is way before the internet was even a twinkle in Al Gore's eye, but in that <laughs> audience, with no wrestling observers, no internet, no 900 numbers, no cell phones, there was a rumor in the audience that Ted Turner had bought the NWA. That was July 10th, 1988. It, we heard that rumor. We got all excited about it. The fans in attendance. This was just a rumor from fan to fan in that Baltimore arena. Well, go home. There was nothing on TV about it. Nothing on TV about it until December of 88, which is about five or six months later when it was announced. Yes, Ted Turner has bought the Jim Crockett Promotions version of the NWA here. My point in mentioning that is this little blip of a news cycle that Saudi Arabia had made a deal, Saudi Arabia Public Interest Fund, to be exact, made a deal with WWE for a purchase. We say, okay, well, that's not confirmed. It didn't happen, blah, blah, blah. But I go back to 1988 when in July we heard there was a sale and it wasn't really confirmed until December. So like Benny prophesied earlier, Benny says he thinks it's a done deal. If I were to bet my life on any of these possible circumstances, I'd probably bet my life on that done deal thing that we just don't. We as the regular people haven't seen the confirmation yet, but it's already a done deal. Um so I don't know if that answers your question, Dan, or, or a different one, but that's. No, that that's great. And while we got you talking, Mikey, uh, you you said done deal. I want to uh, get your thoughts on some stories. They've There's been two of them that have come out in the last day or so. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, the 17th. They've come out uh, sometime during the holiday weekend. Uh, two separate law possible one, one confirmed and one possible lawsuit blocking trying to block Vince McMahon uh, what do you think about people within the company or shareholders or or uh, some of the minority owners taking legal action saying look what you're doing is detrimental to the the long-term health of the company now the stock has gone up since McMahon came back but that has no bearing on the long-term health. That's a purely business reaction from the market because anytime companies are about to be sold, stocks always go up because they're worth more right before the sell. Um, but what do you think about the courts having to get involved when someone can say legally, look, I own 2%, 5%, whatever. You're selling this company to someone who's going to destroy it or hurt the bottom line is is good is bad for the company what do you think about that mindset that there's people who might want to try legal methods to block mcmahon because at this point he's he's going to burn the house down you know cut literally as the expression goes you know cut your nose off to spite your face i mean he's willing to sell the company to someone that would destroy it before he lets someone else decide who it's going to go to i think that's i mean i think if i was one of those stockholders, which I'm not, I think the motivation would be to get a settlement. I think that's one of those lawsuits among many filed in the world that when you have a grievance and there's a chance of getting a payoff, getting a settlement, you serve legal action to do so. So I'm, I don't know who these stockholders are by name, um, but my feeling is some of them are smart enough to realize, hey, there's an opportunity here to get a settlement from Vince and let's push some legal action and see what happens. I, I heard today uh, that if he does sell to the Saudis, though, those lawsuits really are null and void because it's a private sale. Yeah, that's actually um, was going to be the next point. I'm, I'm going through my notes here, what we wanted to talk about. Uh, Benny, good transition. I'll get your thoughts first. Anybody who buys the company, be it a person, be it uh, the Saudi Sports Authority, 
NBC, whoever, uh, odds are they take the company private and go back to which at the time, um, I'm curious for two things. One, what do you think about the company going private again? And two, uh, what do you think about the transition? Because the, the when the company went public and now had shareholders to answer to and a lot more regulations, that's when the overall quality declined and ratings because you, you couldn't do Attitude Era moments on a PG show with shareholders knocking down your door. If they were to go private again, like Mikey said earlier with HBO, you could do more edgier, darker content. Uh, what do you think about that, that whoever buys the company takes it private? I think wrestling was meant to be a private company. I mean, look at in the history of wrestling, all the different territories, what they did. And I mean, remember Florida, what they did with Kevin Sullivan uh, week after week. They can never do that now um, with his you know, satanic, even though he never said Satan. But I mean, for all intents and purposes, that what it, that's what it was. But that's the way it was meant to be. It was it wrestling. I, again, I'm sound like a broken record. Wrestling was never meant to be big. What do you think, Mikey? Well, let me let me clarify something, Dan, because I think this is a common mis misperception, uh, mis if that's a word. The WWE went public as the WWF in 1999, I believe. You can look that up, but I believe Correct. it went public in 1999. The PG era didn't really start until after two things in 2007, the Christmas Benoit incident and the ton of press coverage on mainstream media about the Benoit murders. And then Linda McMahon deciding that she wanted to run for political office. That was the one, two punch that I believe WrestleMania in 2008, we went, they WWE went to a PG era, which we're still kind of in now, although it's loosened up a bit. Right. Um, so my, my point is they had a decent eight or nine years of post, you know, of, of the second half of the Attitude Era into the entire, uh, what they call it, uh, ruthless the aggression. Ruthless era. aggression. I, right. I think it's I think it's worth noting though, Mikey, when they initially went public in, like you said, 1999, um, it was it was a very limited sale. I want to say it was less than 12,000 available share, 12 million, excuse me, available shares. It was, it was very minor compared to the, the size of the company. And like you said, yes, there was a gap between them being publicly traded and the modern PG era. However, also during that time, they greatly expanded their public up, you know, with with shareholders and the new contracts and everything. So I think, yes, you're right. It's not they went public and their product immediately sucked. It was a it was a slow progression. But you can point to their initial public offering in 99 as really I don't want to say the beginning of the end, but that was kind of what led to the jumping point of some of the changes. You know, there's, yeah. there's a couple of names that we really haven't mentioned, and that being uh, Linda McMahon and Shane. And, you know, we barely touched on Triple H. Where, where, what happens with all these people? Well, Shane is an interesting ex example because uh, he is the only McMahon that doesn't have voting share. Uh, when they when they go public, for anybody that doesn't know, uh, the Class B stock, which is what carries a bulk of the voting power, is issued only to directly Blood, McMahon, and descendants. That's Vince, Linda, Stephanie, Shane, and direct uh, descendants. So Triple H can never own Class B stock, even though he's family. Uh, Shane sold his Class B shares, and he'll never be able to have them again unless he buys them from Vince, Stephanie, or Linda. So – you know, Shane really is is a non-factor in this conversation. And Triple H, you would hope, given the the original success that the Black Brand NXT had, at least as a as a um uh launching point, you know, a kind of kind of a territory versus uh, the current product, which has seen improvement in ratings, especially on SmackDown, where he's been more directly involved. Uh, you would hope whoever buys the company keeps him around, but there's a good chance. Uh, and Mikey, I want to be curious what you think. There's a good chance that whoever comes in cleans house top to bottom. 
Well, I'd say this. Um, of all the McMahons, probably Triple H is my favorite just because I respect what he did as a worker. I respect that he came from the outside. And, you know, um, I'm sure that being Vince McMahon's son-in-law is not the easiest thing in the world, you know, on a, on a serious level. Um, and then Triple H and Stephanie have had a, a great marriage by all accounts and three daughters they're very proud of. And just on a personal note, although I've never met Triple H, I, I have met his friend Kevin Nash uh, several times. And um, by all accounts, Triple H is a pretty good guy. And the fibrillator in his chest, if if I were him, which I'm not, I would really prioritize my lovely wife and lovely daughters over booking the territory or trying to get the best deal. And I, I can only imagine there's a tremendous amount of stress that comes with stepping into Titan Tower every day of your life. And I, I was in there once for a job interview. And I can tell you it's when Jim Ross used the term overpriced hellhole to describe Stanford, Connecticut, he wasn't lying. So I would think that Triple H has these three teenage daughters he wants to be a great father to. For him to get his payoff and to be able to spend time with his family and maybe do some counseling or, or uh, you know, advisement to whoever takes over the company, that would probably be in him and Stephanie's best interest. That's just my opinion. I, I mean, I've been, but people say that Tom Brady should have retired three or four or five years ago, but he didn't. So I mean, at least a year people, ago, right? These people love the game, you know, so to speak. They love the business in their own ways to stick around. That's why Vince didn't go off and play bingo or shuffleboard or, or go on a Caribbean cruise for six years. I mean, they are addicted to pro wrestling, even or sports entertainment. You know, they're addicted to their version of what they're doing. And I, for their own good, especially triple H in, in this case, I hope that they can find happiness away from it and really enjoy life fully. That's a great point, though. He, and he's still a relatively young guy. I think he's maybe 53. Yeah. So early 50s, you know, three, I guess they are teenagers by now, daughters. You know, you're going to make how many millions of dollars? You don't really need to do anything else except enjoy the rest of your life. But like you said, it's 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 a hard habit to break, having been in the business for so many years. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where, there are so many aspects to this story, and a lot of it is speculation. We don't really know what's going to happen. I think I keep going back to that story, though, of being a young kid and hearing that rumor in the Baltimore arena. Ted Turner's bought the NWA. Oh, my God. And then we heard nothing until December. So, what, five or six months? And I just have a feeling that history is going to repeat itself. And five or six months from now, we're going to see another trickling of rumors. And then, boom, you know, New York Post, Sports Kedia, Sports Illustrated, all the major outlets will have that story of the WWE sale, whether it's the Saudi Arabia or uh, Warner Brothers or NBC Peacock or whoever. I just have a feeling uh, it probably is going to happen this time. Well, final, uh, as we wrap up here, final thoughts. Another interesting story um, that's part of this is th whoever buys the company is buying and em right now you're buying an empty shell because uh, the, the deal with Fox for SmackDown, the deal with uh, NBC for the uh, Universal and and USA Network and Peacock, uh, those all expire and need to be renegotiated over the next 18 months. So whoever buys the company, you're buying a wrestling name and name only because if you were to say today, right now, uh, you're going to buy the WWE, you become the owner February 1st. You know, let's just throw out a, a, a next week. You now have to negotiate new TV deals, new streaming rights, uh, new everything. So you're kind of half buying a shell, which which makes me curious if the the five to six billion estimate price tag is going to work. But the flip side to that is the story came out about Fox. Um, the, the numbers for 
SmackDown. Now, SmackDown has outdrawn Raw. It's the highest drawing and AEW. It's it's the most watched weekly wrestling program now, about three million, which isn't terrible. Even some ratings of television shows. Uh, but Fox was paying close to two hundred million dollars a year for for SmackDown, and numbers are showing that that's not that's not they're lo- not really losing money, perhaps uh, lack of a better term, but. Whoever negotiates the the current SmackDown deal, Fox is not going to pay what they were. They they've lost their long term projections. They're going to lose over a hundred million dollars on the SmackDown deal. Um, so whoever comes in has to negotiate new rights with USA, maybe new rights with Smack with Fox, and then if somebody like NBC buys the WWE, NBC is not going to buy the WWE and then keep SmackDown on another network. And so you know do. You, I'm curious, Mikey, I'll, I'll ask you final thought here. Um, whoever buys the WWE has to negotiate streaming rights. Do you see the possibility of the WWE for like kind of doing an AEW model where a lot of their content becomes online only? I could see that. And I think that in our changing world, that might be a lot more acceptable or a lot more um, feasible now than uh, five years ago, six years ago, 10 years ago, um, the streaming platforms have really, you know, they're getting more and more of the audience worldwide's attention than putting on your cable television. I mean, I, I, I don't have cable TV right now, guys. I do the whole streaming thing. And if I need to watch something, I'll, I'll get YouTube TV or Hulu live or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, one thing in the negative against the Saudi Arabia sale possibility is that i believe uh saudi arabia created their own golf league right what's it live golf is that the name of it so apparently they put all this money into live golf and no major television outlet wants to carry that on uh, as a program uh or cover it cover it on their you know platform so the saudi arabians are kind of left holding this bag because the, the players are willing to play, play for them for all the money, but they can't get anyone to air it. So in my mind, if Vince were to sell to the Saudi Arabians, the biggest loser is the Saudi Arabians because I can see it happening again where they have this wrestling company, but the you know Hacksaw Duggan, Sergeant Slaughter wrestling fans of North America aren't necessarily going to want to uh, tune in and see... Um, uh, Manish or Jinder Mahal win the title every week. You know that's that's the fear. You know what I mean? So uh, we'll bring back seemed, the Iron Sheik. Well, and and when you mention things on the network being censored, I wonder about characters like Muhammad Masa- Hassan from 2005 and the Iron Sheik and Colonel Mustafa. Um, so my point is, um, I really just don't know what's going to happen. I do feel like Vince didn't. Like I think Dan said at the very beginning, Vince wants to dominate this thing. And however this is going to get broken down, Vince may even cut his nose off to spite his face just because he wants to do things his way. And it, it, all, it reminds me of that angle with Steve Austin in 98 when he, Vince took off the hood and it was me, Austin. It was me all along. I mean, that's it's, Vince is going to sell this thing to himself. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's funny. You know, it, I, I hate to say it. It reminds me um, when he started getting sick and kind of retired the uh, the Playboy Empire when when they announced they were selling the uh, Hugh Hefner was selling the Playboy Mansion and, and a bunch of that stuff. One of the caveats was, you know, I'm old. I've got all my stuff set up here to kind of live out the rest of my days. Whoever buys the mansion, you have to let me live here until I like finish living here until I die. And I'm almost curious if McMahon's going to do something like that. You know, whoever buys my company, you have to keep X, Y, and Z on staff for, you know, it'll be in the, in writing, you know, you have to keep me, keep me around or whatever. It's going to be like Ric Flair. I mean, I swear Ric Flair, he, he wants to die in a ring. I think Vince McMahon wants to die at his desk. 
Well, you know, it's 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 funny. Well, well, I don't know if it's funny or sad, but when when they did the very first uh, the very first Saudi Arabian show, the very first Crown Jewel, there was a story that came out. The Saudi princes um, and the sports authority had requested some names to be on the show, and a good chunk of the people were either retired and some of them were dead. Like they had they had specifically requested the Ultimate Warrior, Yokozuna. And some other, and it's like a couple of people was like, oh, they've been dead for a long, like you know, ten more than ten years or something, um, or they don't wrestle anymore. And then if you remember when they did the Team Flair versus Team Hogan angle, because they were specifically requested Hogan and Flair, but obviously neither of them were going to get in the ring. So I'd be curious to see if if the Saudis do buy it, and and Mikey's prophecy comes true that they don't have a network, they'll just be running a bunch of specials with you know old talent i don't know we'll, we'll see it's it's interesting because you know it, it's such yes i we, we we're all three of us apparently if, and i don't mean to speak for you guys in agreement that we all believe that it's a done the saudis by the end of the year are going to be announced as the new owners um I, i'm curious because you know this is it's a really an unknown entity you know when 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 ted turner bought Crockett, there was no, oh, Crockett's looking to sell who's going to buy it online chat forums or anything. It was just kind of like, like Mikey said, it was a rumor and then it was confirmed. You know, here we're going to have months of speculation, stories, all kinds of backstage news. And I don't know, I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes from here. Uh, Mikey, what are your final thoughts? Well, I mean, I would just, as an encouragement, in case anybody's listening to this show and getting a little depressed about the, state of wrestling like i said in many ways it's never been a better time to be a wrestling fan just like it's never been a better time to be a horror movie fan or a hammer horror films fan or a fan of concert videos from you know men at work playing australia live in 1982 this thing called the internet with things like vimeo and youtube and um, daily motion there's so much content out there you can get for free I still invest in DVDs and Blu-rays of old wrestling. And like I've said on this show before, guys, pro wrestling is one of the easiest forms of entertainment to produce. You need a ring, a good ring. You need a good referee and some wrestlers. And places like Boogie Woogie Man's camp in Virginia, I should get up there myself sometime, Benny, because uh, Jimmy Valiant was the main event guy on the first show that I ever did ring announcing for. So... There's always going to be wrestling, you know, as much as they try to kill it, wrestling is the cockroach of entertainment. It's it's can't be killed because it's if nothing else, it's too easy to produce. Okay. What do you think? Benny, final thoughts. You know, the lifeblood of wrestling for the entire history of wrestling has been storylines. And this is the greatest storyline in the history of wrestling. Yeah, I could I could see that. I could see that. I like the like I said, it's 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 the great unknown. This is really the great unknown for for the first time in ages, you know, with with all the leaks and, and dirt sheets and everything. But we'll see. And and hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully things get better. I, I I don't buy into the narrative that this selling the WWE will kill wrestling like like Benny or excuse me, like Mikey said, it's not going anywhere. And there's still a lot of good indie feds that are bringing in decent crowds every week, every month. So lots of good shows, lots of good times. Uh, I mean, guys, this has been great. A um, lot of fun, fun thoughts, a lot of interesting thoughts. And and who knows, maybe uh, you know, a few months from now, we'll look back on this and look like profits or we'll look back on this and be 100 percent wrong on everything. So, like I said, the great unknown. So, uh, Mikey. Um, obviously we wouldn't be a a show if we didn't end with some self-promotion. What, what do you got coming up? Well, Mike Messier.com, uh, M I K E M E S S I E R.com. If people scroll, scroll to the bottom, they can see the six books that I have available. Uh, our friend, uh, uh, Benny Scala did the forward to fighter play basketball, which is my coming of age sports novel. And, um, you know, I have a pro wrestling trivia book there that you can read the first three chapters for free. 
Uh, I did want to mention, Dan, that you might have seen this place, this the Hidden Cove or the Secret Cove. It was a restaurant in Northern Virginia that used to have pro wrestling shows, I think by Maryland Championship Wrestling. And they would actually, they had like the Bushwhackers there and some other talents. But I just wanted to mention that because this was a, you know, kind of a, a restaurant that had its own little building specifically for pro wrestling matches built onto the restaurant. So and that was, you know, 20 years ago. But my point is, there's always going to be somebody who's going to put together a wrestling show. It's not going to have to be Vince McMahon. It, 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 somebody is always going to present wrestling for everybody. Can't go wrong with that. Uh, and speaking of, of Maryland Championship Wrestling, they've been doing a lot of promotion recently. They've had some big events come up. Uh, you know, I, I live in Virginia, so I've seen and I, I lived in Maryland for a long time. They have a special place in my heart. Um, you know, as does really any of the territories in the mid-Atlantic region, uh, be it the book, you know, Boogie Woogie's camp, our friends in Virginia championship wrestling, Maryland championship wrestling, lots of good stuff. So, uh, Mikey, I can't thank you enough for your time. Always pleasure talking to you. I love picking your brain, Benny, another great show. So for the BS express himself, Benny Scala for Mikey Messier and uh, subscribe to Mike Messier YouTube. I'm Dan Spastiano. Have a good night, everyone. And we will see you next time. We're in the ring.